I think conservation shouldn't be taught as a career. It should be taught as a duty, the same as recycling is taught in school. You know, in school, you know, they teach you, you have to recycle because of plastic, this, that, that. There should also be, you know, lessons on conservation and why you have to, you know, conserve, why it's important to do this since a child. And that, that's the age where you can get to people. Welcome to The Conservation Couch, a weekly podcast where four buddies from four corners of the earth come together and chat all things conservation. Our mission is to create a global conservation conversation and make it accessible for all. Featuring on the couch, we have myself, Dr. Mahesh Bhatt, James Jemu Mwenda, Jamil Dowling, and last but not least, Blaine Earth Offline Edwards. So if you want to join the conversation, make sure you subscribe right now. I hope you enjoy today's episode. And then what's the difference between conservation and preservation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And what's the difference between a conservationist and an environmentalist? Oh, man. First, we had one hard question. Now we've got three hard questions. See you guys next week. I'll have a think about it. (laughs) That's the podcast of today done. (laughs) The conservation cards have been stumped. (laughs) Yeah. Well, conservation, when you think of conservation, you think of conserving species and and ecosystems and ultimately like protecting our planet, preserving our planet. Yeah, by by definition, yeah, that's what Mm. it is. But then... When now, like the more I'm in this space, conserving conservation is not just about conserving animals, it's also about kind of conserving culture, conserving communities, and like protecting communities. And, um, kind of these, there's so many different components to it. There's, there's many pieces to if you well, I think I used the jigsaw analogy last time. If you think of conservation like a puzzle. You know, there's many, many different pieces to that puzzle and you can't really define conservation without at least, I don't know, talking about the various pieces because without one of these pieces, there isn't a complete definition. But I don't know, it's, it's complex. It's, it's more than what you think it is. Jeremy's got some big words to say, I think. No, I think um, as, as, as Blaine has said, I think the... The, the, you know, there is that conventional, uh, you know, understanding of what conservation is, or just how we can explain it in terms of what it is in in the books. You know, we can explain it. You know, it's you know, conservation is just preventing, in, in just a layman's explanation, maybe it's preventing the um, uh, the natural resources that we have and 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 the ecosystems that they live in. Uh, uh, and eventually making sure that there's no degradation, there's no overfishing and all of that. But it is, it is much more than that. I've always gone against that because I believe conservation goes beyond uh, that simple statement, what we think it is. Uh, because being in the field and in the front lines, I've been thinking about what conservation is. 
And I can't, and, and to me asking why is even conservation important is like, look at it. Why are we, what are we, what are we conserving? Who are we conserving from? I end up thinking that conserving is, is, is just way beyond the natural resources that we have. It's way beyond uh, the ecosystems. It's, it's, it's about people. It's about our relationship with nature. So it's, it's a very diverse uh, meaning. It depends on what, but to me in the layman's, Bushman's language, I would say conservation is trying to protect our planet. One man trying to protect what another man is destroying. That's, yeah. that's what I would say in a layman's language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. At its core, that's what I see it as trying mm. to protect. I mean, the, the thing is, whenever I think about it, I always think conservation, and then straight away the word preservation pops into my mind. And I think maybe the traditional view of what conservation was, was preservation. It was like, right, you know, let's keep these things as they are and try mm -hmm. not disturb it much as possible. Whereas now I think if we take conservation instead of preservation and the direction we're shifting that towards, which is unifying all the disciplines involved in it, we're moving towards a kind of phase where we're not trying to keep things as they are, but we're trying to make them better. And I'd say that's probably conservation because if you're doing preservation, you're just, to me, you're just trying to keep it as they are. Whereas with conservation, you know, we're trying mm. to bring species back into existence, you know, with the white yeah. rhinos, they've got the embryo project going. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're fighting to, you know, not only preserve what we have, but to maintain Restore. it, make it sustainable Ooh. to, yeah, yeah. you know, <clears throat> so preservation isn't sustainable in my opinion, whereas conservation, well, we, I think we've gone, we've gone past the point of preservation. <clears throat> like we can't yeah, to do but with conservation, we're integrating it into a model that makes it sustainable with how the world's developing currently. Yeah. So yes, we have a problem with world population, and I think conservation takes that into account and we're looking at ways of making, yeah. you know, the preservation mm. and introduction of these species <clears throat> compatible with humans. Yeah, you got like And that has to take into account cultures, you know, um, technologies, climate change. So I, th I think that's where it, yeah. the it's difference kind of, lies for me. It's kind of like conservation is, yeah, that's a good point. Like there's, there is this difference between preservation and conservation. The conservation mm -hmm. is almost like this, we are seeking this equilibrium uh, on planet Earth between you know, all the species and organisms that live, exist on planet Earth. We're seeking that equilibrium, that optimal balance between all of these, the interplay of all these different organisms. And so preserving <laughs> it, um, you could be preserving a state that is out of balance. So conservation isn't preservation. It's all, always seeking to get closer and closer to that optimal balance of the collective. Yeah. Great. And I think um, I, I had a long discussion uh, with someone about conservation and preservation, definitely. And I think the question remains, I think, Jamil, is where do we draw the line? I think um, that becomes the most fundamental thing in terms of knowing when, how, and which 
maybe species or which ecosystems do you need to preserve? Because it is a, a, a profound feeling that some of the natures, um, the consequences we are seeing in some of, you know, in the environment is because of our interaction in it. Like if we would leave a certain area on its own or uh, certain species, they would thrive even without human interaction. Like talk of a rainforest and all of that. So. Uh, we had a long discussion. We didn't, we couldn't be able to come with exactly where do we draw the line between conservation and preservation. And I think that's really so, a different subject. Yeah. To answer your question with a question, <laughs> at what point do you think human rights should be superseded by animal rights? When oh. I think the collective right supersedes all of that. So, um, if they're the animal right mm. yeah i think the collective right is always so to put a super extreme example okay, go for <laughs> and i'm not saying that you know i back this up at all this is controversial say for example it's a safe space okay uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> say for example you know world population problems um <laughs> You know, we rolled out a program where you started um, making humans infertile, mm-hmm. right? And that would help to an extent with the world population issue, mm. but you'd have massive uproars about, you know, human rights are being violated, humans should have the right to blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes to animals, that's fine, it's an animal. So, like, at what point, I think there will be a turning point if, you know, because at the rate we're going, it is unsustainable. Mm. So somebody's yeah. going to have to compromise. And so far, it's always been wildlife that's compromised. We need more wood for yeah. humans. Okay, take it from the wildlife. Oh, we need more meat. Okay, take it from you know what we're trying to conserve. So oh, I think that line will be defined by the point at which we switch that around. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, I think we have we have we have already gotten to a point where we need to analyze because i think scientists have proven that we need uh 1.6 arts to fulfill the pressure that we are already having on the planet that the population we i mean the, the pressure that we're putting on earth right now needs 1.6 arts for for it to be sustainable so already i think already we are at a tipping point so what i think is like it's not only about the animals it's like the general view of preservation because we are all interconnected you know animals are part of that ecosystem and i think um maybe in our progress to to protect one species our actions doing that are maybe uh in some bad aspects influencing the well-being of another species you know and i think that's that's what the discussion was because you know if talk of a rainforest like if you let it be and let don't mess with the animals they will it there will be a striking balance by itself so i think that's that's, that's became the contentious point of where do we draw the line? And I think uh, that's what I wanted to, to hear your opinions, you guys, you, uh, the couch from the couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, so the counter argument to that is, you know, humans have been intrinsically integrated into nature for thousands of years before we've reached the point we have currently. So, you know, there, there have been tribes in Amazon and there still are tribes that live there. So I think it's more a problem of 
our approach to those resources because if you look at a lot of the tribes at least the you know the ones i've met and stayed with they have an incredible amount of respect for animals um just to give you an example the tamang people in nepal if they kill a buffalo for me it's not just a single village like four five six villages all come together they quarter it they do prayers you know they really respect where it's coming from yeah whereas with you know i'd say the general culture that we have now that sort of understanding and respect isn't there yeah there's a disconnect there's, um, a, dis yeah, there's a disconnect i think it go all you need to do is when you when you're having a conversation that involves animals and humans we talk as if you know humans are separate to animals and i think that's a fundamental error on our part because yeah. we we yeah, have these conversations uh, and we talk as if they are separate to us, but humans are animals. Um, and, you know, we, yeah, that's, I think is one point that we need to address is we are not disconnected from nature. We are nature. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. the sooner we realize that this, the more sense of connection we have with these animals, yeah. Tree, other animals, animals trees and stuff like that and then that connection informs more compassionate and kind behavior well great I, I, and i think that goes to what we've been taught and the culture that we've we've accepted as humans i think our cultures our religions have always shown us that we are um we are above nature and i think that's 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 what has been going on across and that's why we feel we are over above every other living being on the planet and i think trying now to take that down from us that we are the dominant species on the planet is is, is what should be the step forward to realize that without the interconnectivity that is there in nature without all of us being realizing that we are part of this system then it's going to collapse somewhere and, and we're already there we're already at the tipping point because we've already we are there's clear evidence that our actions and our unsustainable way of living on the planet are a great threat to uh, conservation and the ecosystem at large or rather the environment so I, in my own feeling it's like it's i think it's the way we've been raised to feel that we are above over over and above mm -hmm. other beings and that's what um every other being feels on, on, on this planet. Yeah, it's like we, we are at the top of the hierarchy. And yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that you're powerful doesn't grant you more rights, purely based on that value alone. Like and just because you're more powerful doesn't mean you can do whatever the hell you want. Like, yeah, grinds my gears sometimes. But it's a weird one though, because if we're animals, <clears throat> arguably what humans are doing is in our nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I just think that so we're to treat so we're to treat ourselves as animals as well. This is just for the devil's sake. I fully yeah. agree with everything previously yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. I can see some idiots saying this though. Yeah. Um, I just think that's convenient. It's a convenient excuse, isn't it? Just no, you. exactly. But it's like, well, you know, if we're what's... animals and stuff, why why should we limit what is in our nature to do? But it depends what you say is in your nature, you know. Yeah, what does that mean, like? What's in yeah, it, I had someone ask me like the other what day we've done like, in the past. Like, does that? So the other one I had was someone said like, "Oh, is it in humans' nature to be monogamous?" I was like, "Right, well, there's two problems with that question." 
A is like, what do you mean by nature? And B, I'll have to look B up, but it's like, what are you defining as in your nature? Because humans, you know, say monogamy is probably a derivative of cultural standards being set, but <laughs> is that encoded in our genes? Because in our genes, we are innately drawn to form cultures, mm. in which case I'd argue it is natural for humans yeah. to be monogamous to an extent. But I think that's adaptable to the circumstances. If you're going to have like 80% woman population, and I think the culture would adapt to not being a monogamous one. This is going off off sidetrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say, Jamil? <laughs> I just... <laughs> who was who was this friend? <laughs> He's the same one who posted the fuck white guys thing. Um, um, so it sparked some interesting conversations. I will not name names. Like... I don't. I don't think just because something is natural doesn't mean that it is moral or ethical. Uh, like yeah. A human can be born, like, you know, if you're a person that's born a psychopath, it's in their natural instincts to act that out. As a society, obviously, we'd be doing what we can to kind of encourage, I'm using this as an example, but that person, ideally, for the sake of the collective, isn't and shouldn't be acting naturally. Um, I think we should always be auditing our natural instincts so that we consider the collective interest at the uh, yeah. um, as well. We we can't just say this is natural for me, therefore it's ethical yeah. to do. It doesn't work like that. We always <laughs> have to constantly filter that those natural instincts and then consider the collective interest and then act according to that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's part mm-hmm. of being human, isn't it? Like we've been blessed with greater intellect, so you've got yeah, the ability. Part of you nature, know. we we have yeah. the capacity that's to, a, have to yeah. think about that. Yeah, so that comes with a responsibility not to just mm. act, you know, just on instinct and nature. Mm. So nature doesn't Isn't equal it? ethical in all cases, I think. Is yeah. No. Takeaway. yeah. For humans, I'd say, because we have the capability of self-reflection and understanding. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lion killing a buffalo, you know, well, yeah. They're not looking at it as we are right now. Yeah. It's like this, this I, like sentient, <clears throat> this conscious. Yeah. Or, or, or these. What? There's, that, there's no lion conservation catch where they're just discussing their. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was thinking about that. We could do a crossover. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I think, um, I think that's that's one of the that's one yeah. of the things that I that I that I strongly believe in, uh, and and that's that's something that I want to build to people that I meet and through my social platforms. I think humanity has a flexible aspect, which is which is very ideal in terms of our relationships, whether to each other or with the ecosystem or the environment at large. I think it's it's what makes us makes us to be a unique species that is living on the planet. We can change from bad to good. We can change from traditions uh, to, to things that are um, that are good. If you look, for instance, uh, the Maasai community in Kenya, um, <clears throat> the Maasai were known to, if you want, if you're now turning from childhood to, uh, to become a warrior, you had to kill a lion. You know, you had to go out there, face a lion with just a spear and, and, and kill it. So that means you've become a warrior and you can defend the community, you can defend the tribe. As time goes by, they realize that 
the lion numbers are declining and we need to change such a tradition that is humiliating and bringing down the number of lions to, to, to become lower and lower and eventually we'll have nothing to prove. And so we engage in more conservation oriented activities that just like competition of dancing or spear throwing or, or, or art, you know, to be able to build ourselves and prove with the winner among us that. So I think um, there's an aspect in us that can be able to um, change and, and become for the good. And I think that's the line of thinking as well in conservation, because we all know that indigenous people have, have a greater role in, in the conservation and preservation of, of species from wherever place of the world that we are. I think 22% <coughs> of our natural world is protected by indigenous people. So I think it's, it's really about awareness to me. It's about education. It's about... Yeah what is important, what is, what is really critical, and how should we go about it? Mm. Well, and as you're saying talking before, about, sorry. Well, go for it, Ryan. No, just, just one second. As <laughs> you are saying before was the, the, um, the people, we've got enough scientists, we need the people communicating that science as well, I think, today. <laughs> yeah. Which really leads us nicely onto diversity and conservation. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say the mass I tried, but yeah. That was that was smooth. <laughs> Thank you to our moderator, Jamil Darling. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you wanna kick it off? Like, oh that was me kicking it off. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like being moderator. You get to introduce the hard topics, but you don't have to yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jemru, what do you what do you think about um, diversity and conservation? I think I think uh, Jamil, that's a really interesting topic, and I think uh, I think that's one of the most uh, important things that I'm holding into in terms of diversity into conservation. What I feel is um, there is a part for all of us in conservation. And as I think as we, we spoke about the other day of conservation or the whole being like a human body, there's a part, there's a function for all of us. In a human, the, the over 7 billion people living on the planet, they are a part that they need to play in our conservation. And what, what that means to me is the reason why we are in uh, environmental crisis and uh, that we are in now is that there's this, global assumption that certain people who maybe call themselves conservationists are doing something for the planet. And to me, so many people feel that it's a profession. We are just a few folks go to school and study conservation and then uh, others go study to be a pilot and others study to be a teacher or wherever they want to be or a nurse or a doctor. And then this job is left in the hands of very few individuals who seek this part. If you look at uh, our schooling system, you can't go to a classroom and raise and uh, ask students to raise their hands and who want to be conservationists. There's just a very few people. So the question is, can these few people solve the problems that are there in the planet? So my, one of the things that I'm ambassadoring for is every individual person enjoying life on earth as an equal chance or as an obligatory you know, aspect of giving back equally to the planet. And that's how it's gonna be sustainable. So to me, diversity in conservation is like, we have 
different abilities, we have different talents, we have different knowledge, we have different understanding, which can be leveraged for the common good of our planet. You, whether you are a pilot, you can still give back to the planet in different aspects. So it's, it's very crucial that there be diversity in conservation because we won't attach it to a different people that uh, have the whole sole responsibility of fixing the problems on the planet. That's, that's my feeling, that's my take. Yeah. 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 Um, Go for it, Mahesh. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think it's even, I wouldn't even say diversity in conservation. I kind of see it more as representation um, because sometimes I feel like diversity can just be used as, a, you know, companies might use diversity just Take to a fill a quota. Yeah. Oh, we've done the diversity box you know um we tick that box it's fine i feel like it should be more of representation because you know conservation like we've said multiple times it involves everybody on the planet so it's not just one type of person it should be everybody so it should rep the people who are involved in that field should be represent should be representing everyone so that everyone's you know everyone's beliefs and thoughts can be considered Obviously, with everything that's been going on <clears throat> recently in America and uh, with especially towards black people in um, in America and what happened with George Floyd, I think what I found, I don't know about you guys, but everyone in this sphere of feel has started to <clears throat> has started to take a look at look at themselves and look at how little there is representation generally. Um, I mean, this is one thing that me and Jeremy particularly, we kind of bonded over when we first started speaking was um, how me and him kind of were, you know, we're not the typical conservationists. And that was something that we've, we've spoken about previously that we want to we wanna change. And that's, I feel like that's one of the, the core beliefs of the conservation couch. And that's something that we're quite proud of is that we've got quite a diverse group of people here. And hopefully... Um, that will, you know, inspire a little bit of change, how it's going to change, we'll see in the future. But it's obviously something that's very close to, I think, I, I can speak for all of us, but I think that's something that's very close to each of us. Um, obviously, I can't speak for the, the black experience, but I can speak for the, the person of colour experience, um, mm. especially kind of in the, the vet world, which in especially in the UK is non-existent. Yeah, it's non-existent. Um I think I've said it previously previously on the podcast but oh, I can't remember what the the number was but um I think the number of black and brown people in the vet course is something like 3% um which is the lowest of any any course in the UK. Um and I've I've been in many 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 rooms where I'm the I'm the only guy that looks like me. Um, <laughs> there's, there, yeah, well, you've got a um, fly in your milk. <laughs> um, there's just yeah. But I've been in many rooms where I've kind of you you feel a bit. I mean, it's it's great to be in the room, but it's also you can kind of feel that mm. you know you can you can feel it that you're not the you're you're the odd one out, um, and that's something that really really needs to change. Um, and conservation, I think that's I think that's probably one of the biggest issues in the conservation sphere is um, the lack of representation and almost this kind of 
I this is how I felt anyway. Sometimes you kind of feel like as the one person of colour, you don't really belong there. And they'll make you feel they don't and it's not something that some people will often like consciously do, but you know, you kind of get that um you get that feeling. So it's something that really needs to change. And I've I've seen over this last week that a lot of these organizations are starting to reflect on that. So I'm hoping that this is a, a big moment in history that will change that. But um, yeah, that's kind of just my initial initial thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think conservation, d- diversity in conservation is absolutely integral. And I think of this from a practical level, like conservation, and I'm very practical, like I'm all animal rights and stuff, but like I'm very practical uh, at the yeah, end yeah. of the day. Um, and so conservation is a bloody complex problem. We've already yeah. touched on that. There's so many problems to solve. And diversity means, diversity in conservation means diversity of knowledge, diversity of expertise, diversity of wisdom, diversity of um, you know, experience, life experiences. And all these things allow you to solve more problems. And we, we don't have a shortage of problems in conservation. So um, if we limit the amount of people that have influence in conservation, we're limiting the amount of problems that we can solve effectively. And we just don't have time for that. We need everyone involved <coughs> on a practical level because we need everyone in order to solve. Yeah. Like it's, we, we're not going to solve it otherwise. Even from that very practical level, we, we need it. I think also in regards to representation from what I've seen, one of the problems is, well, I've got two points to make. So I'll start with this one. Um, It's the way that it's taught from a young age. So conservation is, you know, not to put any labels about, but say, you know, a very posh, very standard, white. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's introduced there a lot more as a fancy (laughs) career. Whereas if you go to areas of lower income or, you know, a different racial profiles, it's not as taught taught as an option. It's not seen as an option, really. It's it's just not an option. Yeah, when I grew up, I didn't didn't know anything. I didn't know anybody or anything about it. Which brings me to my second point, which to get diversity in conservation, I think conservation shouldn't be taught as a career it should be taught as a duty, the same as recycling's mm-hmm. taught in school. You know, in school, yes. you know, they teach you, yeah. you have to recycle because of plastic, this, that, that. There mm-hmm. should also be, you know, lessons on conservation and why you have to, you know, conserve, why it's important to do this since a child. And that that's the age where you can get to people. If you go up mm-hmm. to someone who's like 50 something years old and be like, yeah, don't do that. It's really important because, you know, we need to conserve the species. They're iconic and they're essential to the ecosystem. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. 50 years. At least that's my experience. You know, I'm sure yeah. there are people out there who would take it as well. I think, I think uh, Jamil, I, I completely agree with you because I think uh, maybe in Kenya, let me, let me talk about Kenya. You can't go... I've been doing school talks in my village and in a number of local institutions that come to visit and see the rhinos here. And I can always ask a question to students like, raise up your hand if you want to, you would want to be a ranger like me and you'll never get an hand. Why? Because 
in, in Kenya, our ranger work is, is regarded as the lowest job in, 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 the, in the Kenyan. We are, we are linked together with the police because we are a uniformed uh, unit. And so there's no motivation, there's no desire, there's no uh, you know, purpose to, to go out there and, and be in conservation. And I think I completely agree with you. I have, I've been thinking about that. The, the most important aspect, if, if, if maybe someone from a government perspective would be listening at this podcast, I think would be to introduce conservation to the young minds, just the way, like the way you introduce learning lessons, like how our, our, our children learn to light when they're young, because what we are talking about conservation and the environment is that you're talking about food security, we are talking about health, we are talking about water, we are talking about clean air, we are talking about all aspects of life on earth. So if people don't understand why it is important to protect what they need to live a good life, then what's, what's the point of it? So I completely agree with you, with, with you, Jamil. I echo your words that, as I mentioned, uh, maybe on one of the podcasts, like the best time to bend a tree is when it's young. Like the best time to instill this sense of awareness, the time to instill these virtues of conservation into the to the young people is when they are young. When they grow up like us, they will be like, you know, that's that's not my business. You know, that's that's somebody's work. That's a profession. But when they are taught when they are young that they need to take care of the environment. It grows along with them. Whatever career path they choose to be in life, there will be a conscious engineer, there will be a conscious pilot, there will be an environmentally conscious lawyer. And, and all these people, uh, when we are talking about diversity, are very important. We need people on uniforms. We need people on suits to represent conservation. We need lawyers. We need, uh, we need I mean, everyone. Everyone is needed on board in different aspects. Mm -hmm. That's why uh, it's very crucial. And I, I, the, the other, oh, you sorry, go. go for it, Blaine. I just got to quickly say on, on what you're saying um, about duty. I think it's really difficult to say that someone there should be duty. Someone um, should have a duty to conserve animals and ecosystems when there's still poverty. Like for some people, yeah, um, it's hard to say you need to save this rhino if they're struggling to feed their family. So of course. Um, we need, I think about conservation kind of like, um, and this is obviously not applicable in all cases, but it's, it's kind of like um, a privilege in a lot of ways. If, if you're in a, in a space where you can worry about animals, you're obviously in a space where you're not worrying about your own survival you're, or you're not like, it's, it's very difficult to care about animals um, if, if you're, struggling to live day by day so um i think addressing these issues like poverty which um and you know there's many other issues out there in, in the world but addressing these allows us the opportunity to then yeah. um have conservation as somewhat of a duty and a responsibility but like it's hard to get there yeah. without addressing these societal issues as well and inequalities no of course I think, yeah, that's a very valid yeah. point. And maybe duty is not the correct word. But um, interestingly, some of the, I can only talk from my own experiences, but, you know, some of the places I've been with, some of the poorest communities, ironically, have some of the highest levels of respect for 
the natural environment that I've seen compared to the people who can afford mm. to ponder these yeah. things. So it's, it's quite interesting and they haven't had to have it injected into them. It's just naturally present because what they do to their environment is going to affect them because they can't just bring a bulldozer in and flatten whatever's in their way and yeah. be like, yeah, cool, that's sorted. They know that if they throw plastic bottles off the side of the mountain in two years' time, they're just going to have a mountain full of plastic bottles and can't plant their rice paddies. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. But also, um, and also picking up on, obviously, I think it is important kind of with education of young people, but also... Yeah you've also got to look at these organizations that currently exist and you know, you've got to ask them, why are you only, why are most of you only made up of generally of white people? Um, there needs to be more opportunities as well available for uh, a more diverse um, range of conservationists. Cause you know, um, I think a lot of people have kind of thought, have been thinking a lot about white privilege and things like that um, and being more conscious of that in this in this sphere and you know making actions to level the playing field because um you know i can speak for myself and i can speak for you know a few friends of mine and um it is it is more difficult for us to get into certain rooms or into getting certain jobs and that's also something that needs to be addressed we've got the the conservation mindset already but if we don't get afforded the same opportunities as other people mm -hmm. then it's no, we're know still kind of people we're still kind of behind um yeah. so that's also Do you have any like rest? specific non-naming examples of, just to kind of um, where you might have felt that you weren't granted the same opportunity i don't i don't know what sort of field you're talking about if it's veterinary or if it's um both both um obviously i can speak more about veterinary because you know um because it's the field that i work in um but there's been there's been plenty of plenty of times that i've faced where for example um there was a time this was this was just after um this was just after brexit the brexit vote so the you know the times in the country were a bit tense anyway you kind of see more more racial uh racial um crimes like that happening and this was like 2016 i think it was um and I was in my final year of vet school at the time. And uh, in your final year of vet school, you're, what you do is you do clinics. So you're, you're not really doing like classroom work. You're just, you work in clinics throughout in the veterinary hospital that the university owns. And um, what, the, what the vet school has is they have like a, they have like a printout of all the students' faces just so that patients, um, so clients and working staff know who the students are that are working in the building. Um, and obviously in amongst the faces, there was my face and there was another Indian girl's face. Um, and we were the only colored people on the, on the, out of a hundred, I think it was like a hundred of us students in my year. We were the only colored people on there. Um, uh, and I, I wasn't there at the time, but, um, basically someone kept crossing out my face and her face. So they cross out the face and on all the, on all the printouts throughout the hospital. And we were the only coloured people on the um, on the on the poster. Um, I wasn't there at the time when it happened, but I know the other girl. She saw it, and obviously was quite visibly upset. Um, and that kept happening over and over again. Um, and that's just a small example of like you know you're, you're going somewhere to study, and 
you're literally seeing people cross out your face. It's just, and this was 2016 in in England, in Bristol. Um, Was it reported or? It was reported, but it wasn't really, you know, the the actions that should have been taken, I don't think were taken at the time. Um, It wasn't, as big a deal wasn't made of it as I probably feel in hindsight should have been, but um, I wasn't, the thing is I wasn't there, I wasn't there at the time, so I couldn't really, I only found out after the fact, um, but it was reported. Everybody knew about it, but it was kind of just something that something that happened and we carried on. Um, I mean, I'm assuming it's something the vet school would want to sweep under the carpet quite quickly because I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's shocking, um, to be honest. Like, yeah, and you know, it's I mean, it's just not nice, you know. Like when I found out, my my mom, my mom's calling me, worried that you know, be safe when you go to when you go to clinics today, and it's just. It's not a nice environment because then obviously you're going into you're going into clinics and you don't know don't know who's done it you don't know who knows about it and hasn't said anything about it you don't nothing's been done about it so it's and these kind of incidents aren't isolated you know I've I've been on farms and I've been I've been in clinics where I've been at I've been at jobs where you know first question you get asked is you know where, are you a foreigner how can you speak English. Um, <laughs> it's you, do, you get that you get that a lot you get that a lot um and no, obviously I did vet school with no like english skills in england yeah yeah, yeah. you'd be surprised you'd, you'd be surprised so um you know i've run into a few incidents um and obviously like i even for like i mean asians asians get issues but then black people get even more issues than we do and i've you know, I think I've only ever met like one other black vet, um, like that I know of um, personally. Um, now that I think about it, I actually yeah, and I think any. I don't I don't think there's there's not like a, a desire to be that to desire for it to for for these communities to enter these fields. But if you don't give them the opportunity and also the education and the know how how to do it, then how are they ever going to um, get yeah. there? Yeah. I think it's important um, for, you know, people like you, like I guess all of us really, um, who are, um, I guess, at doing something that's a little bit out of the norm to, to be a voice and kind of take some kind of, um, you know, like leadership role or just more be in a position where you can voice your experience so yeah. that you can influence other people to who are similar to you to follow potentially in your footsteps like um yeah like growing growing up the only conservation people that i knew of were like people like david Attenborough. um yeah but we live in a world now where we have the internet we have social media and we can put ourselves out there a little bit and hopefully uh, inspire people to get involved in this space if they can. Yeah, that's something, that's something that, um, important. Yeah, I think that's something I've taken, um, that I've always kind of held to, held close to my heart. Um, as a grown up, I, you know, I love David Attenborough, Steve Irwin, all these guys, but if you can show people someone that they can actually relate to, then it goes a massive way. Um, Jammu. That's why we need, yeah. <laughs> we need Jemmy the gem. Well, they've been promoting the Black Mambas a lot now as well. I think it was Australia Zoo. 
like the oh, really? win. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, since all these issues have come up, I've yeah. seen the po- posts of them floating around a lot more. Yeah, stuff like so, that. I mean, I think I th- I think the the yeah, a lot of these organisations are starting to take. Hopefully, it will start to take like a a deep look at themselves. Um, and start to think about how they can change change what's going on. Um, well, they've got the ethical pressure now. And that's what makes yeah, most organisations yeah. change. Because I, I saw yeah. the other day that now, with the amount of people that have been protesting, this is the largest civil rights movement recorded in history. So I don't, oh, really? Yeah, I don't think you can... Well, the, the, the one that fucked me off was that there's 22... I don't know the numbers exactly. There are 22 million black squares and 11 million bloody petition signs. Really? Yeah, so like you know, everyone's happy to put a black square up, and I I did initially before because I saw it early morning on the Tuesday. I was like, oh, that's a good idea, and then I started reading other posts when it started happening that blackout effect, and I deleted it straight away. But um, yeah, people have just gone on and on with it, and I sh- I I know these people have seen the posts because I put it on my story saying like you know this is actually drowning the movement out. And you can check who sees your story. And I know they've seen it and they've still gone ahead and posted it. I don't know if they read it, but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Unfortunately, that comes with well, social media, doesn't it? A lot of people are just... But I, 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 no, I, hopefully it's still just sparking It's sparking introspection for these people anyway. Yeah, but I just feel like sometimes it's more like soothing their guilt than actually caring yeah. about the movement. And that sounds horrible to say, but... Well, yeah, there is. There's probably there's an element of white guilt as well. So, um, I think you have to be. I think it's just educating yourself. There are a lot of good books out there that you can read um, about race and yeah. things like that. Um, Do just you educate yourself and start checking, checking your, checking, checking what you're doing and what effect it has. Do you reckon yeah. there's a correlation between how much influence you have and how much responsibility you have? Definitely. I think now, definitely. I think this, 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 this moment in history right now, this whole movement is too big for you to ignore if you've got influence. Mm-hmm. But, so so I, I think there's definitely a correlation, but I also think there shouldn't be a correlation. Okay. Because, it, so, yes, okay, say, for example, you know, you have 20,000 followers and, you know, you obviously are going to reach a wider audience. But even if you have 200 followers, and maybe a hundred of those followers won't be part of that 20,000. So no matter kind of what level yeah, yeah. of influence you have, it, every little bit's going to help to an extent, um, mm-hmm. especially of like smaller accounts that tend to be just between friends and more closed off communities that don't interact with, you know, the whole social media thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you share them, no matter what sort of influence mm-hmm. you have, but I think people with large influence feel more obliged to yeah. share it. And I have seen a lot of post pressure in it around like if you have influence, it's your due like you it's your you should be doing this. Uh, it's something I actually don't like about how they've gone about it. You shouldn't be guilting people in it into it. And I have mm. seen a lot of guilt posts. I think it's more about yeah. educating and people choosing to join yeah. the movement. But like with influence becomes, you know, impact. So if you, I feel like the more influence you have, the more potential impact that you could have on others. And there needs to be 
an increase in how, like in consciousness in terms of what you do. Like if you're, if you're just blase and you're not thinking through what you post or what you um, promote on social media there, you know, whether or not you're pro this movement or not for this movement, these can have real, real negative impacts if you are reaching literally every single person on the planet. But I asked that question because, um, again, I always think kind of like metaphorically. And when I think of humans, I think of humans as being the ultimate like influences, like in terms of the species. So we are like the Justin Bieber of the, of this animal kingdom. Like we have so much influence compared to all the other species. <laughs> I don't know, that's the one I want to go with, Blaine. Oh, uh, this is what popped into <laughs> well, my head. I, well, I haven't heard Jemmy play guitar yet, so maybe. But like <laughs> this being the Justin Bieber, I don't know who, who's the popular ones these days. I don't know there's some TikTok star, uh, uh, James Mwendo, He's pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, I heard him. Well, James is, he's, doing, he's doing all right. He's influencing. No, I'm like, just a bushman, man. I can believe in the bush. You're more than a bushman now. Like even with humans, we need there needs to be some level of responsibility there because of the fact that what we're doing is literally potentially killing the planet. Well, it is killing the planet. So, yeah, um, I think with more influence becomes more like responsibility to just think more about what you're doing and the potential impact that it could have on people on things outside of just yourself yeah. i think um in, in in echo to your words blaine i think um i was thinking about last night the the, the power of what we are having especially in, in the influence especially in the social media world and i was uh, I was imagining the kind of influence, you know, sometimes I have to do self-criticizing to realize what kind of influence that I want to reach out to people. And to be honestly, uh, there's a threat to our generation on a negative aspect. If you look at life, both on the positives and the negatives, on the, uh, on the, on the way, on the influence that we are having, especially on the social media. Because if you look at the way um, especially people with influence are projecting themselves out there in the social media. You don't see someone, you can criticize someone, you can eventually even kill someone with, with words or even with the influence that you have. Or you either can build someone longfully who is, who is, who is a more right candidate to be, to be built. And the eventual is that the people that align with the influence that you have, have a lot of trust with you. And that's, that's, that's now, I think, is, should be privileged by a high level of consciousness towards uh, the things that we are having an affinity to. You know, if, if it's a cause, you, you need to, before you even post something, you need to go through it and realize, like, how controversial can it be? Look at the influence that you have and realize, like, this can have a toll on a number of people. You know, you can kill someone with the aim of thinking that you're building. So I think uh, in, in regard to that, answer or that question i think there needs to be uh, a conscious human being beyond that inference that there is you know you need to take it through your mind uh, and be a conscious person even though we have a generation of our people who are very insensitive you can you can send words on social media and hurt someone because you don't see them you don't relate mm. to them you don't you don't feel the warriors yeah you just you just can do anything without asking and though that goes a long way. I have seen uh, one of our a star um, committed in Kenya almost even commit suicide because of cyberbullying and all of that. So 
that influence is very, it's very important for doing courses like what we are doing, especially in the environmental world. Well, we face conflict, yes, but they're very minimal compared to other controversial aspects like what is going on in America, like Black Lives Matter. So I think you shouldn't compel someone to go for it. It should be uh, an innate thing that you feel as a, let's say as a public figure, you should be able to feel that you have an affinity to that cause and share it, but not the influence that you have from the people. And I think that's where it comes that you shouldn't put social media in your mind. You shouldn't think the influence that you have is something that you can use for, you can rely on, you know, because people can push you to be a different person than what you want, you expect to be. I mean, that's my feeling about it. No, no, I agree. And it's something I've kind of not struggled with, but thought about quite a bit. And it's like, yes, you should be careful with what you say, but sh in doing that, are you changing who you are? Not necessarily. No, Not necessarily, but, you, yeah. but it is morphing like something you might say naturally between your friends and stuff, but then... But what do you mean by what? As in what? I can't give you a specific example, but I know what like you're with all these, no, but if with such a, once we start building, you know, all these regulations and structures of how to go about it, you're mm -hmm. doing the very thing that you're trying to fight, which is things changing who you are. And it, 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 again, it's another line. And where's the line? Yeah, yeah, you know, these are good line. guidelines to have a safe space where everyone can discuss things and connect or these are guidelines that limit certain personalities or beliefs on the system. Yeah, my thought on it is that I think, and I bring this back to social media because I always think about the kind of the impact social media has and how we can use it better because it's such a powerful tool. But um, in terms of, um, yeah, I guess the responsibility of a content creator, I just think that once you create content and send it out on, on Instagram, you're going to influence somebody. And I think content creators have a responsibility not to kind of think what people are going to think about your, your video and then change your content according to that, but just using mm -hmm. your brain, like thinking critically, that's all I'm meaning is let's just yeah. send something out into the universe without thinking about it because that could be very dangerous. Um, so it's just yeah. having yeah. this critical thinking in our content creation mm -hmm. process is really important. Um, but that's not where the responsibility ends. Like in social media, I think there's three parties that have responsibility. Um, one is the platform, uh, the app. So let's say Instagram, they have a degree of responsibility. The content creator. Oh, Twitter for blocking on. Trump. <laughs> the, the content creators, they need to be more responsible with what content they create and what content they publish. And then there also needs to be a responsibility with the content consumers. We can't just read, read a caption or watch a video and then instantly change our worldview on a particular topic. Cause that's no. dangerous as well because fake news no. is a problem. We can't just take content at face value and then change our views on racism or change our views on something. We need to look at that piece of content and do our own research if we need to. Like we, we need a, we need a, um, a filtration, like a processing component when we consume content. Like we, 
we need to think critically about how we consume content as well, not just yeah. creating content. We yeah, need to think critically point. with how we consume it because that is equally as dangerous. Yeah, and I, and I think Jamil, um, that's what I that's what I was saying. Like, if you the line is, if you are going to share something, then you should you should have like your conscience should be able to tell you that this is the right thing that you're doing. Share stuff that is. You know, and that's why mostly you see, like, even on my on my on stuff that I share on my social media, I always put down there it's my thoughts. I'm a I'm a single mm -hmm. person thinking about a particular subject, so I alienate that from so if someone else can have a different opinion of that subject that I'm talking to. They can have a different view of that particular thing. So I'm very conscious that even though you have a very different opinion, that I've stated that this is my opinion, and so if you have if you follow me for the influence that I have, you'll realize that this is the opinion of one individual person, which I can be wrong or I can be right. So I think mm -hmm. if you're creating content or if you are supporting a certain cause, especially on, on social media, you know, it should be, it should resonate with you first. You should, you should, it should go back into your mind. And I think being a religious person, there's something that we are taught, we taught in religion that your conscience will tell you when you're wrong or when you're right when you've done wrong, when you're doing the right thing. So you should take it back into your consciousness and realize that what you're going to take out is going eventually to be consumed by someone. And it's going to have a reactionary aspect, whether in a positive or in a negative way. Ask yourself, are you trying to build? Are you trying to destroy? I think that's where the line is. You know, but, in, in my listen, like, not to be picky, but I agree with you. But consciousness isn't a uniform thing um so i'm pretty sure trump believes to his mm. core that what he's saying is you know for the best it's for the planet yeah, yeah, it's yeah, for his right. country oh, I, yeah and you some can't depend on consciousness yeah. because it, it's variable and yeah, you know maybe what we're saying here to us you know mm -hmm. it's very you know conscious and we're saying the right thing i can assure you there is someone somewhere that if they listen to this, they're going to be like, what a fucking bunch of idiots. What they're talking <laughs> yeah. about. They've, no, they've not traveled. They've not seen yeah. the world. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And, but that's their I'm consciousness. Sure, I'm sure we've got some all lives matter people who uh, wouldn't agree with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man. But I don't mean, there don't, will don't, be don't mention all lives matter to me, please. That's just a disclaimer. <laughs> but like, I think this is where intention is really important. Like, all you yeah. can control is you can't control the perception of your content. You can only yeah, control true, yeah. the intention of your content. So Definitely, what we yeah. can do is make sure that we're doing what we can with the things that we can control. Anything that's out of our control is out of our control and we can't think about it because yeah, yeah all we can do is yeah, control what we can control and make sure that yeah intentions are as best as possible because I'd much rather a bad outcome with good intentions than a good outcome with bad intentions because when you play it out over time uh, it's better off for the planet the, the person with the good intentions because they will always be proactive about getting that intention aligned with the outcome over time I think I think that's uh, that's very true you know you can't you can't control mostly people are different aspects. And I was, that's what I was saying, okay, maybe I'm thinking as me <laughs> in terms of consciousness being, uh, because whatever someone posts will have like a, a level of consciousness that tells them that exactly what they're doing is the right thing. I completely understand with that. But that should be leveraged by 
ethical aspects of living, you know, and that's that's what I'm considering. That if you're trying to send something out, you need to 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 be very conscious that you're not offending someone. You know, you know, even though people will be offended at some point. Yesterday, I was doing a live in a vegetarian's page, and there was one person who was um, commenting, and I, I even stopped talking to read the comments that she was sending. I was like, gosh, how can, I, can someone have such a negative energy? I'm, what was she I'm saying? Here, I'm, to, I, I'm here, I'm talking about rhinos. What's her hand on Instagram? Call her out. I was on Instagram live and she was like, these rhinos are ugly. You guys are evil. You guys should not even be talking. You're disgusting. Until like so many people- What's her handle, out. sorry? I didn't even read her hand. I was so annoyed. Like, I stopped. If she hates everyone, why is she watching? That's, I didn't yeah, exactly. I yeah, never right. They're just looking for the attention, like yeah. exposure. I've never understood that. People who get so worked up, it's like, you could just turn it off. Like, you don't have to. But the why thing is, like, I also think a lot of the time people like that, out of a bunch of positive comments, if you have one fucktard just commenting shit like that, they're going to get exposure. And part of me thinks to some extent they're doing it for the attention. Definitely, yeah. yeah. There definitely. were two people. Yeah, sure. see, definitely. yeah. There were two people. There were two! Were <laughs> saying <laughs> negative things. So it's a gang! Comments, 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 and it's like, this is so ugly. Just out of nowhere, like she's so <laughs> ugly. It's like what, what I really like about, about what I really like about this is I know Jemmy really took his heart when they call the rhinos ugly because yeah. like, he's like my rhinos, <laughs> my <Yeah>. girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, Fatima is even my girlfriend. Don't even know that. Like, he says she is ugly. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, did you respond was, to uh, any of the comments on the live? I think I said, well, I you know, honestly, in this life, you need to be. You need to accept people for who they are and what they are. If that's the kind of energy you are, then you're right. If you think they are ugly, I have I no different opinion about you. You know, like, I, I, I don't have, you know, if you start arguing with that person, you're building them up. You rather take the high road, ask, yeah. Yeah, you just tell them if that's your opinion. That that's what they want. They want, they want you to engage. Don't they? They yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, 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 dis, you be dismissive. I even didn't read about, because I was reading comments and I was like, uh, someone is saying these rhinos are ugly. So I was reading that, and then so what would you say? I was like, oh yeah, it's it's an honest word. So if you think they are ugly, you know, uh, it's your opinion, and you just pass it. <laughs> I don't know, Blaine. What's your thought about it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can see you're disagreeing. Do you think? Do you, that. think do you think rhinos are ugly, Blaine? Yeah, Blaine. What are you trying to say? <laughs> no, that, that's Trust me, If it was you, I, I think it would have been. And if, if, I, if I was single, well, Jamil said monogamy is, you know, is, is monogamy. Well, tell you what, there's only two northern right white rhinos left, and there's one man who has both of them. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, go finish it. Oh, sorry. Oh, so what I'm saying is like, um. <laughs> You can't control what people want to see. I mean, some people are built with so much en energy. Some people have been maybe through a lot in life. All what is surrounded them is en negative energy and bad energy. And that's what they see life. When they see you, they might see you the same. The content that you share might see the same. So you really can't control that. But as an individual person, sending these things out, make sure they come from a very honest point of your life and your point of your heart from 
and share it. And that's why you're saying even in Trump, I have no problem with him. You're sharing mm. what is in his heart. Like we can easily yeah. judge someone by what they're sharing. You can easily tell what kind of energy is driving someone by the content even we are sharing on our social media. You really can describe what drives that particular person. So it's, a, it's very okay when you share something from your heart, even if somebody else feels it's wrong. I think it shows clearly what is a driving force behind you. And that's where consciousness is. Share whatever you want, yes. Uh, that is deep inside your conscious. So if it's really helpful, we will know that the kind of person that is in you. Yeah. Blaine, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, troll, trolls, trolls are trolls. Trolls, um, the thing with trolls is... Trolls are trolls. <laughs> if you are, you know, I feel sorry for people that um, are genuinely saying cruel things to other people you know on the internet and even outside like in order for that person to be so cruel they must have some demons in their life like i that's i always default to kind of why are they being so cruel like what has happened to them that um manifests this cruelty on instagram like i think that's also that that sprinkle bit of empathy on there is important as well but I was yeah. making a funny face before because I've got a big question for you guys. Um, oh, God. Uh, as as you we... know, <laughs> I love thinking about... Back on the couch. I love thinking about big things. And one, one of my all-time favorite questions was kind of, what would the three most... Like, if you can only pick three values or like ideals or attributes for a human, what are the three most important like values? And so, um, yeah, because when, um, Gemma, you were talking about we should accept people, um, one of my values was, uh, was being tolerant. That was one of my mm -hmm. three values like a few years ago, probably about five, yeah. five, six years ago. But I've replaced tolerance with empathy because tolerance, some people you shouldn't tolerate. Uh, and there's some actions that you shouldn't tolerate. Empathy mm -hmm. is kind of putting yourself in their shoes, which is kind of you know, related to tolerance. It's, it's close cousin. But then acting based on that information, like you're not just tolerating it. If you put yourself in their shoes and then they're still doing a shit job, then you can mm -hmm. say, mate, you're doing a shit job. Um, but yeah, what are, your three, what are your three things if you can... Like, um so or conservation way, specifically. yeah the way i'd approach it would be to pick three skills which would lead to the duration of more skills that were essential to what you're trying to achieve so i'd probably go with empathy loyalty and Ooh, loyalty um the final one i just had it for a second i just forgot it i had all three i was ready to go um <laughs> but it's so empathy, you know, if someone can connect with something and, you know, feel their pain or their happiness and, you know, relate to it, that's naturally going to lead to them wanting to help things that they see that's wrong. Um, and then loyalty, you know, I think it's important that people stick with what they do. And I say loyalty you know, they'll foster certain relationships. And I think it's important that they don't just swap them out for the next best thing. And I think that's really important when you're like trying to achieve an overall goal. 
that you stick it out that you know you start something with someone and you really you know and it, it doesn't mean loyalty is in a closed circle and it's like you're not part of this circle but more of a, like a loyalty to what you're trying to do that you know you might get an easy cop-out route like oh you know do you want to go live in the bahamas this that that and no they're like no i really you know feel passionate about this and yeah well there's the answer you know the third one's passion passion if people mm. aren't passionate you know i think those three three things could probably drive someone to develop the rest of the free well the rest of the you know can't find the word now profile that's required for someone to strive for these things i think with those three you'll develop into a quite a strong candidate for conservation yeah i think they're, they're quite good ones i'd probably add in maybe patience mm. which would you swap it out for um probably loyalty okay because i think i think a lot of what you're saying for loyalty could probably you could probably use for patience anyway um because yeah as yeah. we know, a lot of these things that we want to achieve in conservation, it's not going to come overnight. Um, and especially or nowadays, or, in, or even in our generation, the whole point, <laughs> I kind of see the whole point of conservation is leaving behind a better, a better environment for the next generation. So I think a great deal of patience is required for that. And obviously now we're in an age where with social media and stuff like that, you're seeing, you know, people want things now and people want to do things now. So... Um, and that can sometimes cloud your judgment. Um, so if you're able to have patience and just, you know, step back and and just see things more clearly, I think that can that can be really helpful. Uh, so patience, and that's something that I've always kind of held quite um, quite close to me as well, is just trying to use patience a lot. Um, and you know, it also it also helps because whenever you're encountering individuals um that you might not disagree with or let's say for example internet trolls or when i when in my life when i've encountered issues with um with racism and stuff like that i think patience has helped me a lot sometimes you might want to um there might have been times where i've wanted to react and blow up but i've known that you know if i do my time for example at vet school or uh, or wherever if I do my time and I you know just be patient once I complete my complete my course or complete my mission then it just puts me in a stronger position overall uh, yeah so I think patience is quite important yeah probably one that I'd add I think the other two you got pretty spawn to be fair I think there's probably a set of 10 to 20 yeah it's traits. hard to put it down to three <laughs> well, it's, it's a really interesting mind game like but i think there's probably 10 or 20 traits that no matter which three you pick from them they will re result in what we're wanting because <laughs> yeah. of the because yeah. because they set you up to want to develop yourself yeah. you know if, if, think you're, if you're patient you don't mind waiting for the good things if you're passionate you're fucking going to go out there and get the rest of the skills you need you're going to be resourceful you're going to find a way of doing yeah. it like, yeah. so like yeah. drive drive i feel like is a really important one um, i think empathy is key yeah definitely because if you but have, then i don't you know, i don't think that's just restricted to conservation though i think that's just no i feel like person, most people most people should just in general have those and those qualities what about you jimmy 
Uh, so oh, maybe just to understand, did you say uh, these uh, virtues or attributes, should it only be in relation to conservation or in our relationship or like with the people that we deal in conservation? Is it about the nature uh, or it's about people and nature? People, and, well, people and nature. Oh, people and nature. Okay, right. so with me, I think, um, there's one that you say like about tolerance. I think when I was, honestly, I thought about that lady. I was I actually um, to, to text that um, the, 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 the person in charge to, to give me the name of that person. Because I think I tried to fit in the shoes of that particular person and ask like, honestly, what would be the motivation? Because there was so bad energy, like you're so persistent to write a negative thing continuously on something that even you should have not been tuned in if you are against it you know mm. at the end of the day i realized this is someone who might need help more than mm. anything else because mm. there's, there's a negative motivation behind this there could be something so wrong in that particular person you know we are not talking about i was not talking about race i think i would accommodate that I was not talking about uh, black lives matter or anything i'm talking about a being that even doesn't talk about itself you know, so I think at a greatest extent, I would have a greatest level of tolerance to this person. I think this, uh, this person, I believe, will need some therapy of a kind because they need, maybe they're so lost in themselves, they don't realize what yeah. it is. So tolerance is one thing that I would, uh, I would have, especially if I have to be, in, in, you know, bring it with conservation because um, you need maybe to embrace a certain way that people are doing things if sometimes even if it doesn't really match with you, it, it really gives you a spirit of uh, having sort of like resilience to what other people are resilience. doing. Got, yeah, so that's another yeah, thing yeah. I would have. Oof, like, yeah, resilience that's that's resilience um, ah, yeah. uh, in, in, in doing stuff, in handling people, other patients. Because if I went to India, Jamil, there's, there's something this, the people of India would be doing in regard to conservation that maybe I don't agree with, but it's a way of doing things, you know, and that yeah. and I should be, I, sh I should be adaptable to that because things can't happen exactly the way I think they should go. It will never be a perfect world. I think uh, having that tolerance, resilience, and of course, empathy, uh, because it seems like empathy is like the general, is like the threshold of all of this yeah. in all of us. Ooh. So those are three things that I would really- Could really I add like. one more? Yeah. No, you can't add one. You need to swap them. Oh, swap them, swap them. <laughs> no, you said there's like 20. No, no, we yeah, got three. to choose from. This is, this is the um, challenge. I was going to say a good sense of humor because, oh man, there's a lot of conservation <laughs> that I've met. They're just so dry. Uh, that is very true, though. <laughs> no, I just I need people I can banter with. So, yeah, I'm going to add that one. Okay. I think that's more personal than yeah, <laughs> picture. Look, this is the Mahesh catch. needs people he can banter with, otherwise he's not working with you. It's true, man. <laughs> so, Jimmy, you've got but, tolerance, resilience, and what did you say your third one was? Empathy. Empathy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'm going to tell you mine real quick. So, mm -hmm. um, oh, it's all right, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you were saying before like these these three values would lead into like 20 other ones down the track mm -hmm. but i th i find it 
important to kind of track back to maybe what those fundamental ones are. And for me, like ground zero is self-awareness. I think that is the most important one for me. That's for me, that's like my foundation because um, that having that awareness of your skills and stuff like that, what you're good at, what you dislike, what you're interested in, that can inform what these other, like what you should concentrate on more. Like if you're perhaps um, lacking a bit of empathy due to your, just who you are as a person, maybe you can emphasize that part of your life a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Self-awareness is my first one. That's my foundation. Um, Mm -hmm. Second is empathy. And empathy is good in terms of like informing how you act for other people like that you're acting with a bit more kindness you're acting being considerate to other people so empathy is a a big one for me and then the third one i think i'm going to go with resilience and resilience is is good for so empathy is how you act it informs how you act resilience helps um kind of Mm, helps you react in a better way to external forces. So like one's helping you with your output and one's helping you with your input. Um, and that's the resilience. So I, I was thinking maybe patience, but resilience, patience kind of comes under resilience. I feel like that re- resilience is dealing with time pressure as well. Like it's dealing with mm-hmm. pressure and time pressure would mm-hmm. be patience one, I feel. So well, it's self-awareness, it's empathy, and resilience. Um, I'm wow. mine to your three. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, no. So I was just about to point out that it, it, it's interesting that all four of us have come up with slightly different variations of the same sort of common theme. And I think that kind of reflects the importance of having that sort of diversity. Because if we were all had, you know, the three top dog key ones Blaine said... I don't, I don't think it would work too well. Um, mm-hmm. I think you need people with, Diversity. out of those 20 traits, yeah, I didn't want to play on it too much. But, um, <laughs> you, you need, you know, so say there are 20 ones out there, but you can only have three per person. I'd rather have 10 people distribute those 20 among them than have 10 people with the top three. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's an interesting point. Because... You, you you can't be the most empathetic person and the most objective person at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's naturally a conflict there. There are people who are good at making cold-hearted decisions. Yes. You know, an empathetic person, maybe they, you know, they'd struggle to make some decisions too long. Like just, they just sit there and maybe get stuck and balance things out and, you know, go over it in their head and just guilt themselves into not making a decision. Whereas someone who might be a bit cold-hearted would just look at the facts and be like, right, you know, this is this is the practical way of doing it, and if we don't do it this way, it's fucked. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that it's important to have a varied skill set among people. Do you think no self-awareness what, should is valuable for every single person? Though, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I like I like I like I like it in my own personal because if you if you really don't know who you are, then you don't have a sense of direction. You don't have yeah, what to believe compass. in. You don't know where you're going. 
and I believe um, you cannot take people where you have not been, you know, in terms of, uh, especially when we're talking about the environment. So um, you, you really need to have a sense of direction. You have a clear vision of where you're going to. So uh, a self-awareness, who am I? What am I good at? What can I do best? Who can I have along me? Who, who can I accommodate? So it covers all the other aspects, you know? It gives you a limit of how far I can go, you know, because you know yourself, you're, you're aware of yourself, you know the limits, you know, the thresholds of, of who you are. So I think that's, that's a really cool one. That's a really, really cool one. And I agree with you. On the self-awareness one though, like how do you become more self-aware? And I think the key action for that is, um, is experiences or the yeah. key ingredient is experiences. So it's, it's very difficult for you to develop a level of self-awareness without having different experiences. And going back to the diversity part, that includes experiencing and tasting a range of different things out there in the world so that you can discover what you like and what you dislike. Uh, I think uh, in terms of people trying to figure out who they are, they can often become overwhelmed with in the pursuit of figuring out who they are, because there's so many different variations of what that could look like. Um, mm -hmm. But through your experiences, I think it is equally important figuring out what you're not. So I think we're obsessed with finding out what we are and we disregard the things that we're not. And that all that equally is valuable. And the things that you um, figure out that you're not they come around more frequently than the things that you are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. So I think that's an important part of the process what, of figuring out who you are is figuring out what yeah, you are. Yeah. Life, life experience. What if you want to be inspirational, but you're just not? Hmm? But, so you're identifying with something, but you're just not that. So that's just an example. But I think. Um, if I have understood your question, Jamil, I think that's that's where determination and hard work comes in. I think if you believe in something, yeah. you really, yeah, definitely. you really, you really will go for it. And I think um, it it narrows down again to self-aware. You know, you know, I believe in this thing, and I can go for it. And that's where resilience comes in, because then you have to be uh, to work really hard against all odds uh, to get to that inspirational point that you want to be. Honestly, I tell you, like, I wasn't this kind of person that I am. I, I, this was triggered one day when I saw Sudan dropping tears in an evening. I never knew how to talk to people. I never knew how to speak. I never knew how to say anything. I never knew social media. But I realized that it's one thing that I can do. It's one thing that I can do for this rhino. I don't know. I came and realized we have the last of these rhinos. So what can I do with my time? I don't know how to speak yet. I don't know how, but I started working towards it. I started with children. I perfected how I'm talking about conservation. I've never gone to any conservation school. I've never gone to any university or any college. But when I go out there, I have professors and, 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 and people who have done masters asking me what I've majored on. You know, it's about going for it. It's about, yeah. it's about <laughs> believing in a purpose and going for it. Against all odds, like I'm not limited. I can buy books for myself. I can read. I I listen to speeches of people. I listen to Barack Obama's speech. I listen to, I mean, you go to us 
or the orientations of that direction. And I believe that's what makes us unique as a human being. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to, I, like, I think that's where the resilience comes in. Like, you've got to, even if people say you can't do or whatever, we've all, I think we've all four of us have been in, there's times in our life where people have been like, no, you can't do that. So would you say that? <laughs> I've been proving them wrong my whole life too. It's yeah. the best feeling. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. 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 Sometimes yeah, the only people that get your vision is yourself, but you've got to be like yeah. resilient and driven enough to be like, okay, you know what? I'll... And so, and it may not, it may not even lead to what you think it's going to lead to. Mm. Um, it's the best feeling ever, though, when yeah. it finally all yeah. comes together, and and those people are still around, and you can turn around. And yeah, like, see, <laughs> I told you, you motherfucker. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> me, me too. You know, like, me too. Um, I'm talking from a very honest perspective. Me too. I don't think uh, I felt in the initial stages, I felt or anyone felt that I was qualified to talk about conservation matters because I'm not qualified. I'm not in terms, in terms of qualifications, I'm not. So going, going out in the world and going to speaking engagements for another thing, a typical Bushman would have to go. But I, 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 I went, I did it. So it's it's about believing in having being self-aware exactly what do you want to do and where do you want and how you want and going out and doing it and being resilient about it so <laughs> it's, it's very practical in my life i don't want to talk about more details but it's very relatable what are you talking now is very relatable to my life because sometimes i sit down and ask like even how do i even make it sometimes i don't even know but i think that also just highlights a thing that i i think we just need to move away from the qualification idea in the traditional sense of it um like honestly you don't need a piece of paper to know what you're talking about if you have the life experiences and that's what you've grown up doing you know um i think it's ridiculous that we've monetized expertise to an extent um it's quite a way to put it actually (laughs) <laughs> well, it, it's what we've done. And no, of course, it's important, it's important to teach. But I'd also argue that Jemu has more knowledge and experience on conservation than someone at Bristol doing the Masters in Global Wildlife and Conservation. Yeah. You can't replace <laughs> life and on-field experience. But he doesn't have the yeah. piece of paper. And yeah, I, I don't know if this has happened sometimes, Jemu, but maybe people won't take you as seriously when they find that out. I mean, it's happened to me when I have talked about things I know quite a bit about, but I don't have any of the documents to back that up. Mm. Definitely, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there are offices that I can knock and tell them that I'm a conservationist. Honestly, I can't, in the typical education world, I can knock in an office if I have to leave maybe a predator and knock in an office and say like, I am a conservationist. Believe in me. I need to place these papers there to prove that I have this degree. And I think in the conservation world, that's the most wrong thing. I think yeah. because, because there are people that I've honestly have met who are conservationists, they have all the papers, they have all the degrees and the masters, but they have no idea. It's a profession. They have absolutely no idea what they're doing. So, um, I don't know how that can change, but it's 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 something that we need to change. It's a type that we need to change so that people can embrace that you don't need to have a certain qualification to care for the planet. And I think it goes it draws us back to our 
topic today. What is conservation? I think we we really don't need to to have a certain qualification for you to 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 care for the planet. You don't really do. You don't really need to go and get any uh, structured education to to really care for the planet. It's it should be a needed thing built from an early stage in us that it's our sole responsibility to care for our planet. Because when we attach it to uh, education, if we attach it to uh, a qualification, then so many people feel out of it. They don't feel connected to it. They don't feel they're part of it. It's a qualification. You need to go to school and get it. So it's something that I'm hoping I can be able to change in a small scale. I don't, my voice is still so small, but it's really that if you look at indigenous people, for instance, local, local people in Africa, these people protect the natural world in the, in the most knowledgeable way they know. That person doesn't need to go to a university that they can be now a qualified conservationist. And that's where we need to embrace all these aspects to realize that the, the universal aspect of protecting the planet needs all of us in our diverse ways of thinking, our diverse understandings to be able to realize it. Other than confiding it to an individual who goes to a classroom, taught by someone who wrote a book from collecting information from people who live in the nature and eventually doesn't. So it's, it's my feeling. I might be wrong and I would want the couch to correct me. But that's the most innate thing that I feel. No, I agree. I, with you. I agree. And hmm. um, yeah, I, I, even since a young age, I kind of struggled with that because I didn't, I always had this sense of why do I need this organization's approval to tell me that this is what I can do? That's why I dropped out of school. You know, I bloody hated school. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which school? Um, in Spain. Well, in Spain. Yeah, in Spain. I was kicked out as well, but yeah, same thing. Um, <laughs> tomato, tomato. And, yeah, exactly. But, you know, the the only reason I, you know, I always wanted to be a vet, or maybe that's the wrong way to say it, always wanted to be heavily involved in conservation in the front line. The reason I ended up doing veterinary is because it was the fastest, most efficient way to get me where I wanted to go although it's a five-year degree. But the, the sad reality is that if I didn't do it this way, it would probably take me double or triple the amount of time. Oh, yeah. There would be exceptions of doing it, you know, if you were very resilient and, you know, resourceful and you dedicated yourself to it. It, just, it opens a lot of doors for you early it, on. It opens doors. but And I'd say veterinary is probably one of those degrees that, you know, you couldn't just talk, teach yourself. Um, you'd have to kill a lot of animals. It is one of those degrees that requires knowledge to be passed down. Um, but I'm sure there's things that people have learned in the field in regards to animals that aren't taught on vet degree. Well, I'm, I know there are things that have been learned oh, in the yeah, field obviously. that aren't taught on the vet degree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that knowledge part is the critical part. So how do we acquire yeah. knowledge? We can acquire knowledge through going to university, but that's not the only way that you can acquire knowledge. Uh, so yeah. we, we need to just be more open-minded about the fact that you know you can be very knowledgeable in a particular field without going through the conventional means of education 
or like the, I mean, I personally, especially nowadays, because information is so readily available. Yeah, yeah like I mean, I personally think we need to democratize education. And yes, it is very available, but it's not democratic. It's not available to everyone. To, no. to us, yeah, you can Google anything. I like pick my phone up, right? You know, what does blue mean? And I'll get an answer on Google, some weird answer, but I'll get an answer. But by no way or means is education democratized yet. Mm. Um, so maybe so, um, disruptor, like we we hear yeah. of all these the disruptor companies out there. Maybe someone's going to come in and and disrupt the education industry, and hopefully they have some kind of um, like social angle to it, environmental angle, which I'm sure they will. But yeah, the, the well, education well, system between, needs to between be between the four of us, it's, we cover yeah, quite a very, lot of the yeah. skills. It's very outdated, isn't it? It's totally. Yeah. So, so um, um, I think this comes to something that I always think about, and uh, and and I think I would want you to listen and then tell me what you think about it, because I think at the at the at the contemporary times we are with the little that are plant, I know that the scientists that have already studied the planet, the scientists that have already did analysis of the planet, have revealed that our planet is in a very critical stage if it has to continue living right and i think most most of the most of the conventional education what it teaches is that people know how to make data create it analyze it and all of that and mostly it doesn't come with a, a compassion maybe even to the subject of what they are doing and i think um what the world needs much more is compassion and people to care for it. Most mostly knowing that we already know there's a problem. I think how do we solve that problem should be the greatest question that we ask ourselves. And the more we go and get more facts, the more we get more people, scientists and all of that, giving us more facts and then absolutely doing nothing. We are not solving the solution. So how do we now bring the masses to make them feel that there is no distinction between the scientists. The scientists who studies there will come with very complex scientific aspects that a common local person who should be engaged in conservation cannot even understand. So then there's this, this margin between who is a conservationist and who should care for the planet. And then these people completely like will feel left out. And so we don't have that. And the few people that go to school and study to be conservationists are not enough to solve the problems that are facing this planet. So how do we go about that? How do we leverage the education? So, well, yeah, sorry. Yes. So that's, 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 that's what I feel. So that's what I, when I said we don't need more scientists, I wasn't being like, people don't need to go more school. But we don't need having many more people giving us more facts that our planet is collapsing without many more people coming up to adjust what is causing it to be the problem yeah we have think, all the words, but none of the actions yeah so please help me on that because it's something that is very controversial in my, in my mind like well i think getting to having the conversation we're having here having it with kids having this sort of conversation where they could ask whatever level question and to whatever but just having this sort of conversation with children at an early stage and throughout their education, because mm -hmm. education, at least my experience of it was, this is what you need to learn. This is how it is, blah, blah, blah. 
and there was never much of an opportunity to discuss things and like even as a kid I felt like I had things to say and I think if we had you know education was taught in the way that we're discussing things here it would you know inspire a lot of kids to pursue those things and I think humans innately have a sense of responsibility so if that was nurtured from an earlier age then maybe more people would get involved yeah i think the solution to conservation is children yeah they they have Have more babies (laughs) they 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 are the key um (laughs) so it begins with it begins with them well you know well it begins with us teaching them uh and educating them and I, i think in the primary school phase there needs to be stuff like um if we all agree that self-awareness is an integral part to, to everyone, the, these are the things that need to be instilled into children throughout their, throughout their schooling from primary school. Like some people talk about meditation in primary school, stuff like that, like thinking outside the, the box, how can we encourage kids to be more reflective? Because I can see how that wouldn't go down in Spain with the Catholic church. Um, but yeah no no exactly um but how would you get that into the system create a new system burn this old one down yeah classic and i think that's what's happening like a lot of the thing with old school systems is large systems are slow and resistant to change and the thing with the world that we live in at the moment, we've gone through a period of such rapid change that these old school structures are just not adapting with the times. We need, we need people like us. Um, we need, so we had, you were talking about the importance of science, the talk, uh, importance of communication, but we need innovators and we need entrepreneurs in the space because entrepreneurship yeah. drives innovation and we need as much innovation as we possibly can in areas like conservation. Like that's just the reality. Like we need innovation. How do we foster innovation? Entrepreneurship. We need more of that. <clears throat> and I think uh, to me now, that's why I think uh, folks that we need to have more folks that can replish um, <laughs> what is factual. Um, what is what? What is funny, guys? Sorry, it's just, <laughs> just uh, it's just your folks. Like, we need more, more folks. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah that's that's what I'm, that's that's what i that's to me in my honest and in my in living in, in the bush in the way that i think the best way to help conservation and the future of our environment is someone's people who have gone to school the scientists or the facts that have been gathered towards the well-being of our planet there should be middlemen there should be people to leverage that to the local people on the ground here. Because then yeah. without, without that, if, you, if we are talking about extinction of species, war, blah, 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 the consequences of all of that, the local people, you know, who have no affinity for conservation, and we all know that it's a very fundamental aspect of being, do not, will not find it relatable to them. So I think people will take that information, extrapolate that information, make it sense, make it look good, make it, uh, make it more relatable to our contemporary humans. That's, 
one of the big steps towards uh, solving some of the environmental issues that we have. Then how do we do that? So I think that's why the conventional education system should come with people or education programs where there can be people who are more like teachers, who can even be employed in an education system, who will basically talk about environmental aspects and mostly the relevant issues that are affecting our environment. So that even kids grow knowing that this is what is happening. Climate change, the Arctic, if it melts, then we are all messed up and all of that. And they, are, they find it relatable as they grow about. Because the more we have, more information. And that's why, Blaine, as you are saying, that you are the amplifier. We need to have so many the flies coming up. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for it. <laughs> I, was saying, I was waiting for you to finish. <laughs> so it's an honest feeling, man. Maybe I think a lot living in the bush, but that's what I feel. I might be very wrong, but that's what I feel should be the best way to go towards this. Because so many people don't know what's happening to the world and the implications of what is happening to our planet. And until they know, we will only be talking about conservation. We will be talking about extinction. We'll be talking about environmental crimes. There will never be a solution. So the only issue of what I had with what you said earlier, and it's not like an excuse or anything, it's like caring about, so taking care of the planet. Um, the planet, I don't know how to say this without sounding bad. The planet's going to be there irrelevant no. of what we do. But do you know what I mean? So, you know, if, if anything, we're going to kill ourselves off, eventually restart, important is that we preserve what we have and that we try and maintain the planet as it is but the planet is it, it, it will be there um I, I just don't the phrase of taking care of the planet I mean, the planet's been here for millions of years it's had meteors hit it it's had ice ages it's had it's gone through everything you could throw at it and we're not going to make a dent in it to, to to an extent but so the planet's going to be there and it's not about protecting the planet. It's about protecting humanity and what we have currently, at least to me, if that makes sense. Because when we say protect the planet, I think protect humans. The planet's going to be there, but we might wipe ourselves out. Some tiny little bacteria and some cockroaches will survive and give it a couple of million years and you'll have a whole different planet. But the planet's still going to be there, if that makes sense, without sounding too argumentative. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think what, what it is is that it is very clear evidence that our unsustainable way as humans on the planet is what is causing the, the environmental crimes and the chaos that we're seeing. So I think that's, that's what I was talking about. If you talk about protecting, we're talking like it's, it's mostly by humans as against yeah. the environment. So it is yeah. protecting it means like, that's what I said, if you leave the planet by itself, without any human indulgence, it will survive, it will thrive. Yeah, without us, the planet will still live. So it's, it's our actions, that's the protection. That's where the protection comes. It's from us overfishing, polluting, you know, deforestation and all of that. <laughs>